Happy Lord's Day to you. Again, thank you for being here. I don't mind uh, sharing with you that I am just uh, tired, have been for a while, but I know many of you are tired as well. I want to just take a quick moment to thank our uh, Sunday school teachers, uh, adult teachers, and uh, little theologian teachers, and everyone who's uh, helping Wednesday. I think there's just a lot of weariness here. Uh, I know that we we are without, uh, well, we're without Pastor Molinax, and we are without a youth pastor. Uh, October 18, uh, Ryan Hamilton, uh, he'll be here. Uh, Jake has been on vacation, I'm feeling that. We're just tired, and I'm trying my best to not be tired. I really am. I'm trying my best to straight face and just make sure everyone thinks I have just a bundle of calmness and composure under any and all circumstances, but I'm just tired. Thank you so much for all of you who are volunteering to help our ministries go forward. Thank you. You're tired too. Little theologians, you might be tired. You can't sleep during this sermon, right? That is not an excuse for you to sleep. Uh, Instead, I want you to draw a picture. You know, uh, at a playground, there's really tall slides. Uh, Maybe there aren't tall slides now. Maybe they're all short and safe. But uh, I remember when they're really tall slides, and you could sit and you could watch kids climb the ladder and go down the slide, climb the ladder and go down the slide. And every now and again, uh, there'd be a kid who'd climb the ladder but wouldn't go down. they just think better of it. Perspective up there is a little bit different, and they would just back their way down the ladder. Draw a picture of that kid. You think about a high dive as well. How many little kids have you seen jump off a high dive? But how many kids, how many adults have you seen go up and just think better of it and just take the ladder back down? We're going to meet in this passage a scribe, and we wonder, does he believe in Jesus? Does he go down that slide, or does he just go back down the ladder? The Bible doesn't answer that. But work on that drawing as we look at this passage about one scribe having a conversation with our Jesus. Our passage this morning is from Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 28. It's on page 848 in the Pew Bible. It'd be good to have this open in front of you. Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 28. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we're a collection of weariness here, and we need you to fill us, to strengthen us, to compel us to love you more, to send us out into this week. Father, you can do all of these things, have promised to do all of these things by the strength of our Holy Spirit. Feed us, strengthen us now, we pray. Amen. Again, this is Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. 
You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught on the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David calls him Lord. So how is it, or how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. This is the word of our Lord. I believe it's just impossible for us to look at this passage and not wonder about the heart of the scribe. There have been so many people jostling around, and yet there's this one scribe. He asks his question. Jesus responds seemingly to the one questioner. But I want us to see before we try to unpack this scribe, I want us to understand very clearly that the Bible doesn't give us one single way to respond to the ministry of Jesus. Actually, in Scripture, we see a number of different responses to the offer of the gospel in Jesus Christ. In the Bible, we see some who immediately and beyond a shadow of doubt believe in Jesus. But the Bible also gives us pictures of some who immediately beyond a shadow of doubt reject Jesus. And then, uh, to make things a bit more complicated, the Bible gives us a picture of those who seem to doubt Jesus for a period of time, and then they believe. And the Bible gives us a picture of those who seem to trust for a period of time, and then they actually, well, they reject. This is just a normal reading of the Bible. We have all these examples of a variety of responses to Jesus in Holy Scripture. But really, this has been the case in the history of evangelism. We have all these examples of different responses to Jesus. I mean, you remember the parable of the soils. Sometimes there's good soil. There's immediate belief in the words of the gospel. But there's also that soil that's barely soil at all. It's a path. And then there's an immediate disbelief in the offer of the gospel. And that should prepare us before we look at this passage and wonder too much about this scribe. But a couple of things, I just, I have to state this before diving into the passage. Don't think that your rejection of the gospel is a fresh rejection, unique unto yourself and yourself alone. No, your rejection, it's just like every other rejection before you. That's the first thing. The second thing I want you to understand is this. We as Christians, we can't think that all of the rejection of the gospel that we see around us, that that is definitive and something to lose hope over. No, rejection isn't new. We may see a lot of it, but that's not always the end of the story. 
And here in verse 28, we have a single scribe. We wonder about his heart. You know, we'll talk about what a, what a scribe is, but, but just notice that he just jumps out of the crowd. Who would do that? One man. Remember, we've heard questions that have come from the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees, and here we have one guy, and he stands up. And not only that, look what the, look what the Word tells us in verse 34. This is a guy worthy of notice. Jesus says he's not far from the kingdom of God. And we need to investigate what Jesus means by this. But I want you to know this about the passage as we dive in. A relationship of love to God and love to others. Okay, that kind of relationship. Sincere love for God and sincere love for others. When the Bible talks about that, that kind of relationship with God and with others is only possible when we fall on our face before Jesus. That kind of loving relationship with God and with others is only possible, according to the Bible, when we give ourselves to Jesus. You can look at the outline of this passage as uh, obvious. The scribe, he's asking, what is most important? And so we need to answer that question, what is most important? But then we need to ponder this. If that's most important, what's less important than that? What's first place? But what's second place? The second point of the sermon. And then finally, we'll finish with this. What's more important than you ever imagined? That's the conclusion. What is most important? Look at verse 28. This is, this is how things kick off. A scribe, he asked Jesus, uh, what is most important? There's an intense crowd on the Sermon Mount, but it seems that the crowd melts into the background so that this one man can speak. And this scribe, we, we know something about him. You can see this in verse 28. This scribe, he has heard them disputing with one another. So the scribe, he's actually taking in what's happening as individuals dispute with Jesus or as crowds dispute with Jesus. And the scribe, he's, he's impressed. In his estimation, Jesus has seemed to answer, well, answer them well. A scribe is this kind of person. You ready for this? A scribe is someone who is a gifted reader of texts and writer of texts. I mean, the word literally refers to uh, his ability to uh, understand texts. And so he can read and he can write very, very well, so well that he could get a job in any industry. Scribes were all over the ancient world, not just in Judaism, but they're very special in Judaism because these are the guys who are looking at texts and they're making perceptive interpretations. These were the masters of text, but also the masters of correct interpretation. They're the masters of communication, and they're also the masters of wisdom and counsel. It's almost like if you're, if you're going to go into a, a really difficult negotiation uh, where the numbers are really large, who do you bring with you? Well, you probably bring a lot of people. I mean, you bring an attorney. You might bring your, uh, your financial planner. You might bring an accountant. You might, well, you might bring, if you're me, uh, a spiritual counselor. That's not really my domain, big negotiations like that. A scribe's the one you'd bring. They know stuff. They've studied stuff. And the scribe, he seems to ask, remarkably, a very, a very in, uh, simple question. Which commandment is the most important of all? Scriptural question, by the way. 
He's not looking for Jesus' opinion. He's uh, looking for uh, a better understanding of the Word. He's not ranking Scripture or ranking the commands of Scripture. These are the only ones that matter, and all of these, they're optional. What do you think he is asking? Which commandment is the most important of all? You know what he's asking? He's looking for a distilled statement of purpose in the Scripture. What's of first importance? That's what the word means, first. What's Scripture all about, Jesus? And what is the Jewish faith all about? And it may be that he's asking a question like this because he's been listening to, the, to these disputes, and the disputes that he has been overhearing are disputes about the, these uh, esoteric topics within Judaism. Uh, he's listen to, listening to disputes that he's heard over and over and over and over again. Yeah, the, the Pharisees think this way, the Sadducees this way, Herodians this way, Zealots this way. No one's changing their opinion. They're esoteric discussions that actually define those various camps. And the scribe, he wants a break from that. Wait, wait a minute. Let's clear the air here. No more of this tribal argumentation about how to interpret Scripture. Jesus, what really matters? Now, it could be that this scribe, he's just like all the others who were in line before him. He's just testing Jesus. He knows the answer. Let's see if Jesus does. Maybe. But there may also be a depth of sincerity here. A man who is really listening carefully to what Jesus says. And there's evidence abounding in this passage that he's listening carefully to what Jesus says. It could be a sincere man who wants to know what this whole religion thing's all about. Jesus, if I were to pose that question to you, what's it all about? And that may actually, that may actually communicate very well your own heart this morning. Might be you. You've been wondering this for years. What is all this Christianity business about? And you're saying to yourself, when I get a good answer, I'll commit. But until I get a good answer, no commitment for me. I'll remain, thank, uh, thank you, on the fence. You know, Christians actually wonder this way as well. Uh, Christians in a season of doubt, uh, they'll think to themselves, I wonder if this is real. When a Christian is enduring uh, enormous temptation, uh, they might wonder, perhaps sin isn't real after all. Maybe God's not serious about sin. Christians wonder this as well. What is Christianity all about? That's the tact that I have when I listen to the question of this scribe. And I want to suggest to you a single word summary of Jesus' answer. Jesus' answer you'll see is in verses 29 through 31. Four verses. But really, it's summarized in one answer. Jesus answers the question, what is religion all about, by saying grace. Grace is what it's all about. And the reason I think that's the case is because Jesus, he begins with Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 was outrageously common 
It's a memory verse. Everyone would know it. It was recited morning and evening by every Jew, at least every Jew for whom Judaism meant something. In fact, this verse was nicknamed the Shema. That's the Hebrew word for hear. It's the first word of the passage in the Hebrew and in the ESV. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You know where this verse comes from? It comes from a sermon. Don't you love sermons? It comes from a sermon of Moses, and it's a sermon that Moses uh, preaches to remind people who have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years about something important. To remind people uh, who have been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years just before they go into the promised land to remind them of something special. And if they need the reminder, it's also something that they would tend to forget. Moses reminds them that God is the one true God. There is no other. And in fact, we hear this all over Scripture, that there is none besides Him. And that's what Moses is reminding them. There is one God. And not only, remember, it's about grace. Not only that, but within the Shema, there's a statement about that God. Not only is he the one true God of which there is no other, Moses in this sermon, because he is a loving pastor, he reminds them of this. He is the Lord our God. That's in the Shema as well. There's none like him. Don't even think about it. He is alone, himself, independent. But he's ours. He's ours. And Moses, he's, he's preaching the gospel to a people who are expecting something extraordinary, who have witnessed something extraordinary. They're expecting God's grace. That's what this sermon is filled with. He is high and holy. And God, he is taking them into a place, and Moses is reminding them about that place. He is going to give you great cities that you did not build, houses that you did not fill, cisterns that you did not dig, vineyards that you did not plant. You're nothing without him. He's the one true God, and he is giving you everything. But they would know this. Why? Because they could look backwards. And they would know that they did not deliver themselves out of Egypt. The one true God did this. He heard their cries and he kept his covenant faithfulness and he delivered them. They didn't deliver themselves. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, the answer is grace because they deserve none of that. The way Jesus fills out the answer is all related to grace. First, there's this. Because of the grace of God, we owe Him everything. All of our love, our heart, our soul, our mind. By the way, Jesus may be inserted mind. Our strength. We owe Him 
everything. And this was understood in the words of the Shema, but it's understood because of God's grace. We owe him everything because he is the covenant promise keeper. But there's something else. Jesus adds something that's beyond Deuteronomy 6. We heard Deuteronomy 6 this morning in a service, but Jesus, he actually goes to a different part of the Torah and he picks up Leviticus 19.18. This is love for others. But listen to how this works. Because of God's grace, we owe him all of our love. But also, because of God's grace, we know we owe our neighbor all of our love. This is a different verse in Leviticus 19. One commentator says that when Jesus goes to a different part of the Old Testament and he adds to Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus 19, Jesus is being revolutionary. Not my word, that's, that's his word. It's revolutionary because to the average Jew, the neighbor was a fellow Jew, but not to Jesus. The neighbor to Jesus, that could be a Samaritan. And everyone knew that about Jesus. I think about it this way. God's grace to such an undeserving person like me should compel me to love God with everything that I have. But God's grace should also compel me, someone who is utterly undeserving, well, to love my undeserving neighbor as well. I want you to just think about that answer that Jesus gives the scribe. And furthermore, I want you to understand that the scribe, he gets it that way. The scribe understands understands God's grace, and there's proof for that. Look at verse 32, and we have something that Jesus, or that the scribe offers us to show us that he understands not only what is of first importance, but what comes in at second. Jesus tells the scribe that the first or most important command, the point of everything, is actually God's grace. His grace is so important that it should compel us to love him and it should compel us to love others. But what comes in second? And the scribe says in verse 32, he says, you're right, teacher. You have truly said. And then he repeats a few changes. He repeats Jesus' answer. He quotes the Shema. And he quotes Leviticus 19. He accepts Jesus' connection of those two passages. He says, teacher, you have truly said, and he quotes Jesus, no problem. He's a scribe. He understands this. He understands the connection. But he also quotes what comes in second place, which may as well be last place. He acknowledges that the love we owe to God and the love that we owe to neighbors is much more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Just look at verse 33. The scribe volunteers that. He understands something about God that tells him something about grace. So he's a scribe, he understands scripture, and when he makes that addition that this is much more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices, 
he seemingly is quoting Psalm 40. Psalm 40 says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear, burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. That's King David writing Psalm 40. And it seems as though that connection happens in the mind of the scribe like that. He gets grace. And if God is gracious then all of those burnt offerings and sin offerings do not have the power to compel him. Now, that is more than interesting. It is true that this, the passages like this are all over Scripture, passages that, that put the, the religious obedience, ceremonial obedience in proper perspective. Those passages are all over Scripture. But the scribe, he understands this. And he understands this to such a, de- such a degree, you need to remember where this conversation between the scribe and Jesus is happening, and when is it happening. It's happening in the place of sacrifices. It's happening in the temple. And when is it happening? It's happening on a high holy day during the celebration of the Passover when the people are reenacting God's gracious will for them, delivering them from Egypt. Does this place and these actions, do they matter? What do you think? This is a man who is quoting where King David says that the, that the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, that these things to God don't mean a thing. It's not the heart of the issue. It's not what's first. To love God because he's gracious and to love neighbors because God's gracious is a million times more important than all of the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. (laughs) In the temple during the Passover, he says that. That takes some courage. That's the guy Christmas Day who's saying, you know what, the day's pretty immaterial, isn't it? Wrapping paper all over the place, smiles on on everyone's faces. By the way, the day could be anything, right? It's that guy. It's the the guy who, you know, we're celebrating a birthday, says, you know, why why this year over another year? All years are equal. God's faithfulness, faithfulness is true every day. We celebrate a year. Why aren't we celebrating a month? Why aren't we celebrating a week? Why aren't we celebrating a day? Why aren't we celebrating an hour? Trust me, I really can be super curmudgeon You have no idea. And the scribes being that man, it's on the Temple Mound, and it's during the Passover, and he gets it. What's really important is loving a God who's full of grace. Right in the middle of the temple during the Passover, the scribe draws out the implications of Psalm 40 and other passages, and he confesses that ceremonial obedience, that's not the most important thing. I cannot leave that statement without saying that there are some of us here this morning that think that's what's happening right now as we're hitting that checkbox, I attended church this morning. We're hitting that checkbox, I wore a tie this week, right? there, There are some of us that we know exactly what that feels like, doing my thing, and I ought to get some credit for it. Perfect attendance. What do you think about that? Well, let's ask God. Because what you're describing sounds a little bit more like chutes and ladders or candy land. It's a game. Not a game. The God of grace seized upon you, made you his own, made himself your own. 
And Jesus, he says to the scribe, you've answered wisely, and he says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. I'm not sure what this means. I'm not sure if it means the scribe is a convert or about to become a convert, but you don't know either. Mark hasn't seen fit to tell us exactly uh, this man's spiritual status. But this man understands that obedience isn't his work that gets him something from God. Obedience is a gracious or a, a thankful response to God's gracious attitude towards him. Obedience is not what gets you something from God. Obedience flows from gratitude for getting everything from God. And the scribe, he understands this. But then notice what Jesus is doing here. When Jesus says something like, you're not far away from the kingdom of God, Jesus is really outscribing the scribe. And you need to see that. Jesus is, is asserting some enormous interpretive authority. He knows that the Old Testament, uh, he knows what the Old Testament means better than the scribe. Jesus believes that the Old Testament is not about obedience, but it's about being part of the kingdom of God. The Old Testament is the story of God's redemption, him rescuing those who don't deserve it. Jesus knows that about the Old Testament. The Old Testament is about how one becomes a part of the kingdom of God. It's not about ceremony. It's about eternal life. It's not about keeping the festal calendar. It's about an eternal relationship with the grace-filled God. I want to do something before I conclude, and I'm just, I'm just going to ask you in advance, just forgive me. Just assume I mean well. Pastors shouldn't preach their imagination or their dreams or their speculations. Here, we want to submit ourselves to God's Word, but I, I just need you to, to give me just a little bit of allowance. What do you think Jesus means when he says, you are not far from the kingdom of God? Sometimes, kindergartners know, know the answers better than we do. And I want to offer to you a kindergartner answer to what Jesus means when he says you're not far from the kingdom of God. Let's just, just entertain the notion that maybe Jesus' answer isn't philosophical, isn't even theological, isn't emotional. You ready for this? This is the imagination. This you have to forgive me of later. What if Jesus' answer is geographical? What if that's what he means by the word far? What if Jesus did this? What if Jesus said, you are not far from the kingdom of God? And then he reaches out and he just, just touches, just one finger, just touches them. Speculation. I get it. But Jesus has come the bearer of God's grace, the giver of God's grace, the securer of God's grace. Jesus has come. You're not far from the kingdom of God. <laughs> he just touches them. Jesus is God's grace. Jesus is owed worship with all heart and soul and mind and strength. Jesus is that God, the kingdom of God, it's very close, about an arm's length.
Now, what's more important than uh, this scribe could ever have imagined? That's where we want to conclude, verses 35 through 37. Mark shares with us what happens next. Jesus, he makes a bit of a pivot. Uh, Mark wants us to understand that Jesus, uh, he shifts just a little bit. It's hard to tell when exactly verse 35 happens. It seems that it happens real quickly. There's a subject, subject that Jesus wants to address, and the subject is, is very, very clear, because he says in verse 35 that, that people, they're willing to, be, they're willing to uh, acknowledge that I am the son of David, son with a lowercase s. I, I'm from the family of Judah. People are willing to acknowledge that, but they stop. I suggest that you add the word merely. The scribes say that the Christ is merely the son of David. And that's what Jesus is going to talk about next. But really, it's what he's already told the scribe, the kingdom of God is near. Jesus defers to Scripture, but this time he goes to Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is quoted all over the New Testament. And Jesus says, I'm not merely a member of the genetic family of Judah, I'm more. This is what I mean by it's beyond the imagination of the scribe. Psalm 110 is a psalm that's unique because it actually, it's written by David, but it captures these conversations between God and someone else. There's this kind of terminology in Psalm 110. Again, you should look at it this afternoon in which God is speaking to someone else in the psalm, someone other than King David who's writing the psalm. The Lord says to my Lord, and God talks to this Lord and he says things like, rule in the midst of your enemies. You are a priest forever. God in this psalm is talking to someone else. And Psalm 110 is what Jesus wants to be, uh, to be on, the, on the minds of people that are milling about the temple. Uh, he wants them to understand that he is a good scribe and he can tell them how to read Psalm 110 better than they can tell themselves. He's asking a very basic question about Psalm 110. By the way, this is what, what English majors are also good at. Look at Psalm 110. Who do you think God's talking to? Don't read too quickly. Study it. If you ask David, he would tell you who God's speaking to. David calls that person my Lord. David, who's writing the psalm by the power of the Holy Spirit, he would say, yes, God is speaking. And who's God speaking to? Someone I worship. My Lord. Someone who has more regal authority and power than I do. David, he knows that. David doesn't call this person that God's speaking to my offspring, my kid. It's my Lord. David the king says that this person that God is speaking to is the true king, the everlasting king, the one who is king not because he was born in the right family with the right last name, but the king because God made him king, king of the order of Melchizedek the king who is a priest king, the king who not only defeats all of his enemies, but the king who makes sacrifice like a priest for all of his people. In fact, the king who is a sacrifice. And, and David says, that's my Lord. That's what Psalm 110 is about. Jesus says to the scribe, the kingdom of God is near. And what he means by that is I am the Lord of King David. You see, this passage is telling us that a relationship of love to God and to others is only possible when we do this. We fall on our faces before Jesus and we call him our Lord. We worship him and him alone. 
The scribe, he could imagine what was of first importance and what was of second importance. But this is, well, this is more important than even he could imagine. Jesus is God. And in Psalm 110, David, he's anticipating this odd time in the future when he says, your people will offer offer themselves freely on the day of your power. And the Jew would know this about Psalm 110. God is speaking to the second person of the Trinity, the one whom David worships. And David, by the Holy Spirit, says in this psalm that there will be a day when God, your people, will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. And Jesus is saying, this is me. David, he calls Jesus Lord. He worships Jesus with his heart and with his soul and with his mind and his strength. That's King David. He understands that his Lord is not his offspring, but his God. And what I want you to hear this morning is this. God's grace is open to you. A relationship with the one true God a relationship with the one who is like no other, that one true God is actually offering himself to you in Jesus Christ. All you have to do is call him Lord with your lips and with your heart. This relationship with this God is beyond your imagination, but it can be had simply by offering yourself to Jesus. That's the message that I believe the scribe hears, and I believe the scribe believes it. But you know that's not as important a question as this. Do you? Do you? Do you believe that He is God? Let me lead us in prayer, may I? Father, we thank you for saving us in Christ and in Christ alone. Aflame the hearts of believers with greater love for Jesus and draw those who don't believe to yourself in Jesus. Amen.